1: And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. We have to make our country great again, and I will do
2: that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. Now, Fox's chief political anchor, Brett Baird.
1: The number of unidentified flying objects being shot down over North American airspace continues to increase, but... Who's responsible for these objects, what exactly they are and what is the Biden administration doing in response? The first one was Chinese. They admitted
0: it. They claimed it was a weather balloon. We know it's not. These three we don't have attribution for right now. We don't know. We don't know who owns them. Um, So I'm not going to take anybody's uh, word at face value here until we can get a chance to to take a look at them. The political floodgates seem to
1: have opened for the 2024 presidential campaign with former Republican South Carolina governor, former ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley being the second to officially announce her run for the White House. The first to challenge former President Donald Trump for the 2024 Republican nomination for a conversation on this and more. We bring in our panel founding editor of Washington Free Beacon and AEI resident fellow Matthew Continetti. Former Tennessee Congressman, co-host of The Five, Harold Ford Jr., and Chief National Security Correspondent for the Fox News Channel, Jennifer Griffin. Jen, I want to start with you about you know, where we are on the evolution of this. We obviously have a differential between the Chinese balloon at, at the beginning and these three other objects. Is there any more clarity, or are we still kind of in a murky place?
0: Well, I think we've learned a lot more over the last 24 hours, Brett. I mean, the mystery still continues. The three objects shot down over North America since Friday are very different from the Chinese spy balloon. They know that the Chinese high-altitude surveillance balloon, uh, they know what it was, they shot it down, they've retrieved it. We now know that they've retrieved about a uh, 30-foot-wide uh, where, uh, piece of the the payload that it, that has all the electronics, all, basically the intelligence mother load. They have that. It's en route to FBI labs and intelligence communities already um, uh, gleaning information from that. These three objects are different, and U.S. officials tell us they likely would not have seen them if the radar had not been turned up to a higher frequency after the Chinese spy balloon crossed the U.S., uh, John Kirby told reporters this morning that there's no evidence that these objects that were downed recently were part of China's spy program. They could be commercial. They could be benign. That's sort of the latest that we're hearing right now.
1: And as far as finding any of the debris of the other three, we we don't have anything yet.
0: Well, there they it landed, you know, on ice floes in Alaska. Um, it, it's almost impossible to get to uh, that first uh, first object that was downed on Saturday. Uh, another is in the high mountainous terrain of the Yukon, and uh, the third over the uh, Lake Huron is in hundreds of feet of deep icy, cold waters. So they're trying to get to them, but again, if these were sort of commercial uh, drones or commercial balloons, you you know, they could be, it could just be small pieces and nothing significant. I mean, they were a lot smaller, remember, than the Chinese spy balloon. That was the size of three um, buses. Uh, These were the size of like a small Volkswagen. Yeah. And
1: Matthew, I mean, that recovery is continuing, and we're told that uh, they have some significant uh, debris and fallout from the Chinese spy balloon that they're being analyzed by the FBI and uh, the Defense Department. But So that section of it and the concern about what China was doing is very real politically. The president seemed to, when asked about it, say it's not a not a huge deal.
2: That's right, Brett. I mean, he struck a very uh, triumphalist note uh, in his State of the Union uh, last week. And then in a subsequent interview uh, with PBS, kind of just brushed off the Chinese spy balloon uh, as not a big deal, nothing major. And I think that's exactly wrong. I I think what has been revealed in the past week, as several of our national security officials have put it, is that we've had what they're calling a domain awareness gap. We don't know what's up there. And since the end of the Cold War, now 30 years ago, I think that our air defenses have seriously atrophied. They've been weakened. And we've we've heard reports for decades now about unidentified aerial projectiles, UAPs or UFOs, as most people say. And now we're realizing as we change our radar and kind of narrow the scope and lower the altitude of where we're looking, there's a lot of stuff up there in the sky. And I think the American public deserves some sort of explanation by its commander in chief about what's going on and what exactly we're going to do about it.
1: Harold, the um, White House has had you know a few people out, John Kirby, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, but the president has not addressed it, at least not yet. And uh, it is interesting that we're in this different place, you know, shooting things down, and yet we haven't heard from the president. Do you do you think we'll hear from him?
3: I hope so. I I, I don't disagree with with much that's been said by Matthew or Jennifer. I, I, I would just add this. I think what what is what is being asked for, I think, in a broader way, and I'd be curious to hear uh, Jen's, Jen's position on this is kind of a, a larger statement from the White House, not only about what was shot down, uh, the, for the balloon, as well as the three subsequent objects. It appears that Senator Rubio, who came out of the briefing not long ago, said that 95 percent of everything they heard in their briefing, uh, the senators heard in their briefing from the uh, from from the military leaders should be could be released to the public. There was nothing classified about it. I'll, I'll let them Make the judge be the judge of that. But I think in a, in a, it, it begs the question for the president to even speak specifically uh, about what our what our position, what our doctrine might be towards China over the next five to 10 to 15 years. Um, I mean, that intertwine in the dependency that U.S. consumers and businesses, firms alike, including financial and retail firms, the dependence we have on China and vice versa, combined with the geopolitical uncertainty that that we find ourselves in now. Uh, I think it really uh, is going to call on not only government leaders, but business leaders to think and perhaps even rethink uh, this relationship going forward. Uh, but at, at, at the heart of it. And right away, I think your, your question, Brett, the specificity of your question around should the, should the white house, should the president speak about this? I, He's the commander in chief. And I think if you wanted, you wanted some of the wild and far fetched theories to stop in speculation, to stop about what might be, Uh, in this airspace, I think it would it would behoove the president to to put an end to that by by making a statement.
1: Yeah. I mean, you have Democrats um, on the Hill, Senator Blumenthal saying the American people need and deserve to know more from their commander in chief. Um, So, I mean, it's obviously getting up there. This classified briefing, we don't have a lot uh, on the specifics. It's uh, whether the Biden administration should be more forthcoming, I think is is something that both sides agree on. Jen, uh, one of the things that Republicans, uh, Senator Tim Scott, others suggest that the first balloon should have been shot down earlier, um, and they suggest it shows weakness on the world stage or the global stage. I know that there was a lot of explanation about that decision making and what we may have learned during that process about that spycraft.
0: Well, it's interesting, Brett. I've heard a lot of pushback from uh, senior Pentagon leaders as well as members of the intelligence community. These are people who are not um, necessarily politically aligned, but they're the more the technical people who, who um, look and, and what have, have been aware of this Chinese surveillance program for some time. And they say that, in fact, uh, they've been watching. Remember, Congress was, was briefed about this high-altitude surveillance program, the Chinese program, back in August and the the military has been watching these balloons for uh, quite some time, for months, and they have been learning a lot about how they operate. What's clear is the Chinese really were taking advantage in the last few years of this kind of band of of airspace that most people weren't paying attention to. Most of our air defense systems, the U.S. air defense systems were set up to, they were designed to track incoming uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles or nuclear weapons they were not really uh, focusing on this, this band that the Chinese decided to exploit with these kind of hiding in plain sight uh, large balloons that you could see with the naked eye. So this is something they were watching and what, the way it's been explained to me is there were about a hundred scientists uh, along with all the intel um, agencies studying the Chinese spy balloon as it did cross the country. They were able to, remember, the US used to have an open skies treaty with, with Russia and they knew how to put up shields over their sensitive sites, the the nuclear sites, uh, because. Russian planes were allowed to fly over the U.S. and we knew that they were spying up above. That treaty no longer exists but they have the ability to put up those kind of radar shields and and they did so while the spy balloon was going across the country. So they feel pretty confident that the Chinese were not gathering anything as it did come across the country. But the U.S. on the other hand had uh, U-2 spy planes up there. They were learning about how this uh, spy balloon operated and by bringing it down in warm, shallow waters off the coast of South Carolina, they now have the major payload uh, 30 feet wide. We're told that they've brought up from the ocean floor and they're going to know what all the electronics on board were. They That wouldn't have happened if it had been shot down over the mountains in the Yukon or over Montana or over one of the Great Lakes uh, at deeper deeper, um, and colder waters.
1: Yeah. And Jen, and just to follow on that, you know, the president said that the Policy is to compete with China, not to um, have a conflict with China. However, I mean, they are increasingly getting aggressive. And is there a sense at the senior leadership at the Pentagon and elsewhere that there will be, as Harold mentioned, a change in kind of geopolitical strategy when it comes to U.S. China?
0: Well, I think what we're seeing from both the U.S. and China is this increasing potential for misunderstanding between the two countries. I mean, from the Chinese perspective, you know, the focus on Taiwan, both the U.S. military as well as the Chinese focus on Taiwan, that is a, you know, right now there are no off ramps to that conflict, for, for, apparently. And and the, the Pentagon is extremely aware that, that things are increasingly every day growing uh, more and more tense with the Chinese and the potential for uh, mishaps is huge, uh, given the tension in the South China Sea, the behavior of the Chinese, the misunderstanding uh, between both sides. I mean, the lines of communication, look at the fact that the Chinese military wouldn't take the phone call of the U.S. Secretary of Defense. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the lack of lines of communication uh, in this sort of looming great power conflict is really, um, is really should be cause for grave concern. Uh, even at the height of the Cold War, there was, still means through which uh, Moscow and Washington were able to communicate.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And it's um, a dangerous point as well. Panel, we'll hold it right there. I want to turn topics to more domestic issues, Matthew. um, The CPI, Consumer Price Index, comes out today. Inflation running much hotter than expected, 6.4% year over year, uh, 0.5% for January. But, you know, when you look at the big things, gas 40%, electricity 20%, your food roughly 20%, and people's paychecks kind of getting squeezed, how people feel about the economy, is different than how the administration is talking about the economy
2: well that's absolutely the case brett and it's been the case for some time i mean if the real economic story i think of the last couple years is partially because of policies that the biden administration has implemented american standard of living is in decline and americans feel that and they tell pollsters that it's remarkable when you look at the nonpartisan polls surveys of the american public most americans think that the economy is very poor Uh, they expect recession ahead and despite what the Biden administration says about low unemployment stock market growth that's not that's not impacting americans lives in an everyday way in the same in the same sense as rising prices and wages not keeping pace with uh uh, prices and and this is this is the reason uh i think that biden remains very vulnerable headed into 2024 his approval rating is middling it's below kind of where you want to be heading into a re-elect and um his if you go under the overall job approval you look at his approval rating on the economy that's very poor if you look at his approval rating on foreign policy that's not much better than his approval rating on the economy biden has real Issues heading into this election Uh, and the root is his inability I think to make Americans feel as if their standard of living is on the up and up and not on the decline
1: Politically, it's tough though Harold, you know I mean it is a fact that just a few years ago. We got inflation as a country slightly under two percent That's what the Fed Federal Reserve would love to see in order to get there They're probably going to have to continue to hike rates, which obviously the markets don't love Republicans say, you know, when you throw $4 trillion of of gasoline on the fire, you're going to see what we're seeing now. But to campaign on cutting spending, uh, it's just a difficult political pitch, uh, as we've seen before. Both parties have been at the trough of big spending over the years.
3: And both parties seem to still be at that trough, let, let just 30 seconds, I think had the administration, this is not at all to, uh, to suggest that Jen does anything. Jennifer Griffin does anything but report, but her reporting and what she just laid out on on China and for that matter, the, these balloons and our and how our how we went about addressing it. If someone from the administration would speak as clearly as Jennifer. We probably wouldn't, be, <laughs> wouldn't have some of the confusion that we have now. Yes, I, I thank hear her you. for
0: that. Thank uh, you, Harold. We have it. it's, it's,
3: it's, it's the truth. Two, with regard to what, what, what you just asked and how Matt, Matt responded, I think there's a long line of politicians who have run on the, the platform, who've lost, who've run on a platform of you're doing better than you think because we see the numbers here. And I know you think you're not doing well, but you're doing better. I think the White House acknowledges that and understands that. Uh, and realizes that we are entering into sort of a new normal and a reset after all that we've experienced over the last few years. Uh, And I, I contend, we obviously know we went through COVID, and that was the predicate and the catalyst for it, but the way supply chains have been reset, the way interest rates are now rising and people are adjusting and the way the Fed has decided to reduce its balance sheet, which I think is really the, the bigger challenge because they are no longer they're no longer buying assets in the economy or should say in the markets that allowed for investors, particularly sophisticated investors who were largely using everyday people's money to invest. Uh, they're now having they're not they're not being able to they're not allowed to do that or being able to do that with the, sort of the freedom and the protection they, they had before. So what do you do? Uh, I think the White House is actually doing a better job than the numbers suggest. But to Matt, Matthew's point, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily persuade people and everyday Americans that because they're paying more for eggs and bread and gas, that they should feel OK about it. So, you know, I think over the next the next year, uh, the president's going to have his hands full, getting out, explaining what he's done over the last two years, which I think has been pretty doggone good in terms of making investments in manufacturing jobs, making investments in the heart land of the country to ensure that we are better prepared from a supply chain standpoint and not being so dependent specifically on on Asian supply chains. I thought one of the best parts and best moments for the president the uh, the other night in the State of the Union is when he said supply chains will begin in America. Uh, If we're able if he's able to lay the, the groundwork for that and begin to see some of the fruits of that before, you know, the next year and a half, I think the impact on the on the U.S. economy, obviously, for the short term, but particularly for the long term, uh, is devastatingly good uh, because I think one of the ways we compete against China over the next 20 years is that one of the ways we compete against China is to increase defense spending in a smart way over the next several years. And I think in a very, very short term, one of the things I would be arguing if I were the president, that for all of my friends in Congress, Democrat, Republican alike, who believe we ought to we ought to have a better counter against China. The one thing you can do in the short term to ensure that China does not gain a, a greater I should say greater ground on us is to not allow America to default on uh, on our on on our debts. Uh, And if we want to debate spending controls and spending uh, discipline going forward, we should do that. But let's not give China an upper hand by even suggesting we're going to default, because the more we do that, the more volatility there is in our markets, which means the more everyday Americans lose wealth. And see prices go up. Yeah, that's what I would do if I just
1: just as you were praising Jen, you know, what you just said there is exponentially more than President Biden said in the State of the Union address about China, Um, and uh, explained it a little bit differently than he did. And you know, it is it is interesting. We're getting ready, as as I mentioned at the top, to see new candidates come in. Nikki Haley the second to announce on the GOP side her run for the White House. Uh, Jen, a lot of people obviously know you as chief national security correspondent, but you covered Hillary Clinton on the campaign. And now uh, you have another prominent woman uh, running for president uh, whose tagline today in the video was, you know, I kick back and it hurts a lot more with high heels
0: well Nikki Haley's a very interesting candidate she's she's said that um, that she's never lost an election and um, that's sort of where she stands right now um, interesting timing coming out on Valentine's Day uh, she clearly wants to get out early um, it was quite clear I think when she was was up at the UN as the ambassador that that she had political ambitions and and she was generally you know very well thought of up there as as the ambassador so that was her Uh, I think going from being a governor of of South Carolina to uh, the international stage, being a U.N. ambassador, that's going to serve her well. And, you know, in general, I don't see that she's made a lot of enemies, but now she's about to sort of head into the buzzsaw that is, uh, you know, the Trump campaign. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he reacts to her entering the race at this time.
1: Yeah. And we had former uh, or current senator, rather, Tim Scott from South Carolina, also considering a run, starting a listening tour, Matthew, uh, this week, uh, saying that it's time for a new generation of uh, leadership. So you could have South Carolina being ground zero with uh, Trump fans, (laughs) Scott fans and maybe Nikki Haley fans.
2: Well, it's, uh, that would make sense, Brett. It's a very important uh, part of the South, and the South is a very important part of the Republican Party. So I could see two candidates in the 2024 Republican primary hailing from uh, South Carolina. Uh, I just want to say, uh, first on Nikki Haley, I think she's being uh, slightly undervalued uh, in the kind of the Republican uh, sweepstakes here, um, the stock market of Republican candidates. Um Everyone is saying, oh, well, Nikki Haley is really running for vice president. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, she is a very skilled political player. And uh, if you looked at that opening message, it was um, it was positive. It talked about her national security credentials. It talked about her time as governor, where she had to deal with the um, <clears throat> terrible mass shooting at the Emanuel Church and how she responded to that. Uh, she talked about a new generation of uh, leadership. She also talked about how, you know, her identity as um the, the Child of Indian Immigrants really kind of provides a unique perspective on a lot of um, America's uh, racial uh, politics uh, and discourse. Um, I think she's somebody who uh, will get a serious look uh, in the months ahead. You know, I will say, though, um, the more candidates on the Republican side running for the presidential nomination, uh, I do think the, the better um, off uh, former President Trump will be. We see some of these matchups when they're head to head matchups, Trump versus typically, say, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, um, the anti-Trump candidate or the non-Trump candidate as uh, a better way to put it, wins. But when you start introducing multiple candidates, like, say, the most recent um, uh, Reuters tracking poll that had Nikki Haley along with former Vice President Pence, and Governor DeSantis, and Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump does come out ahead. He, he, he benefits from a multi-candidate field, uh, just like he did in 2016.
1: It'll be fascinating to watch. We're just at the beginning, and we have a lot of trials and tribulations on the campaign trail on both sides uh, to figure out. Uh, Thank you so much. Now for a bit of history. Many notable things have happened on February 14th throughout the years. 1849 in New York City, James K. Polk was the first serving U.S. president to have his photograph taken. 1903, President Theodore Roosevelt signed a bill into law establishing the U.S. Department of Commerce and Labor. February 14th, 1912, Arizona was admitted into the Union as the 48th state. And in 1962, First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy conducted a White House tour for a television special. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com, wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. We want to hear from you. From Matthew, Harold and Jennifer, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.